It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. Doom, doom, doom. And bloom, de bloom, bloom, bloom. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a powerful paragon of pulchritude in a pitiful world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find 866, two thirds of the way to what? 900, wow, post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And- Who are you? <laughs> Remember well, your... I, wait, I was trying to do your math. You were how much to 900? 866. Wow. So, two-thirds. I think that's more than two-thirds that's to a 900. Lot of, that's a lot of stuff. I think that's more than two-thirds yeah. to 900, though. I think, well, 866. Oh, well, I got it. <laughs> oh, yes, you're right. Two-thirds away from 800 to 900. Yes. <laughs> silly, silly me. See, I'm sitting here trying to... To do the Figure math. out what I'm. You know, talking I'm really about. good at math. What so is he talking about? I immediately thought to myself, "Well, that doesn't sound right." Well, I'm losing brain cells rapidly. No, very no, no. rapidly. You're just doing a lot of stuff, honey. Hey, who are you? I'm Amy Alton. I'm an ARNP and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest. Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster, and we are the watchers on the wall. We watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart, for goodness sake. Ah! Oh, wait. It's not falling apart yet, is it? Friends and neighbors. Yes. Friends and neighbors. I am your friend and your neighbor. Have you been injured in an accident with a pusillanimous parakeet? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. We have parakeets. We do have parakeets. Are they whatever that word is that you said? They're pusillanimous. Way, what I'll does that say. mean? Okay, could you please share with the class? Means cowardly, I guess, would be the closest thing. Like timid? Timid, yeah. Aw, well, so, I think our parakeets are timid. They are. They are. I put they're... my hand in there, the ring to little bells, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> They're afraid, I don't know, I'm going to squish them or something. Well, they you, should you be are, used to me by now. You are pretty. No, I give Squish. them I give them food and Worthy. water. Uh-huh. They should love me. And I ring the little bells because the little boy loves the bells. Uh-huh. He's, he just loves to ring the bells. It's so cute. Anyway. Anyway. 
all information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when it's gone, like in a disaster, it's gone. So you better learn what to do if you come across somebody sick or injured in times of trouble. And that, my friends, is our job to tell you what to do when help's not at hand. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's cooking, Cookie? We learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us. It's easy, and here's the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you how. Well, you can contact us by email at drbonespodcast. That's dr, like Dr. Bones Podcast at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show, and also Doom and Bloom. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And our other podcast, all about current events, American Survival Radio, which is now syndicated. Yes, in... that's right. Salem, Oregon. Yes. Yeah, it has been picked up by a radio station, Relevant News Talk Radio, in Salem, Oregon. That's pretty cool. I know. I'm so excited. And we also have a video cast on the first Wednesday of every month at AroundTheCabin.com. And don't forget to make the oldest man in the world... <laughs> Me, very happy by getting a copy of our brand spanking new third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, now available on Amazon. I guarantee you'll be glad you did. Well, you know, if you're going to make it to the world's oldest man, I think you have to make it to like 121 or something. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So you're kind of only only halfway there. Next month. You know what you are? You're middle-aged. Middle-aged. Yeah. Geologically, I'm middle-aged. You mean like if you're basing it on the age of a volcano? (laughs) Yes, right. Or the Rocky Mountains? Or the Earth. (laughs) Or the Rocky Mountains? Yes, yeah, there you go. Well, I'm going to cut you loose, Nurse Amy. We are late in packing for St. Louis. We're going to be in St. Louis this weekend, September 17th, 18th, 2016. 16 at the Gateway Expo, Preparedness Expo, and we're going to have a suture class there. We're going to give free lectures. We're going to have all of our medical supplies there. If you happen to be in St. Louis, meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet me in St. Louis. Meet me at the Expo. I believe the Expo is called St. Charles Convention Center. It's at St. Charles Convention Center. That's yes, right. so if you guys are looking for it. Or you can go on doomandbloom.net and go to the classes page. I actually have the address there. Absolutely. And the website so you can get information about the hours. But I think it's like 9 to 6 on Saturday and like 9 to 4 or 5 on Sunday. Sounds great. Yeah. All right, go All right, pack. Bye, I gotta pack. Bye, guys. I'll be back later. It's been a while since I've talked about dental issues, but you know that dental issues are, in a long-term survival situation, probably one of the main reasons why people will have major problems with pain and all sorts of difficulty eating. It could cause them to be malnourished because it hurts so much to eat. These things do happen. As a matter of fact, you could even die from things like tooth abscesses, which wind up going to your bloodstream and causing something called septicemia. 
bacteria in the blood that can kill you, cause shutdown of a lot of different organs and be a real problem. Now, with a few days without power, perhaps after a storm, you probably aren't going to need a lot of dental supplies in your medical kit. But if you are concerned, if you believe that there'll be a long-term event of some sort that will knock you off the grid for a significant period of time, six months, a year, maybe forever, well, you better have a pretty good dental kit put together. Nurse Amy has put together an awesome dental kit. You can find it at store.doomandbloom.net. We had the input of a couple of dentists on the kit who felt that this item was necessary, that item was necessary. We put it all in a bag, and it's something that you might consider having if you believe there's going to be some kind of long-term event. That's really what it comes down to. Now, I wanted to talk about a dental issue today, and I'm going to do this a little more frequently in the future because this is something that's important. As a matter of fact, they just found the mummy of the Egyptian queen Nefertiti, and they found that she had a big hole in her jaw where there was a large abscess that ate away at the bone. Apparently, the cause of her death, that's how bad it was in those days. So if we come to any kind of situation which puts us totally off the grid, you know that something like that could easily happen again. Today I want to talk about what happens when a tooth is knocked loose due to trauma or knocked out altogether. That's something that I think is a possibility in violent times, and so we should talk a little bit about this. Now, a tooth that's knocked out, or well, let's, let's talk about a tooth that's knocked loose first. Let's do that. A tooth that's knocked loose, but not out of its socket, is called a subluxation. Not like a subluxation like you have chiropractors deal with. I'm talking about a dental subluxation. So what to do in these circumstances? Well, first, wash your hands. That's number one. It's very important to be sure that you wash your hands before you put them in anybody's mouth. That is number one. As a matter of fact, you need to put gloves on those washed hands, as a matter of fact, and that's something that's pretty important. Now, if you don't want to put your fingers in there and and touch the tooth that's loose, you can use a cotton applicator and just press on it lightly, and it should be pretty clear which one is the loose one. Oftentimes, these injuries will appear to bleed slightly between the tooth and gum, so this is one little hint as to where you might possibly find it. Now, if it's minimal trauma, it might require really no major intervention. The tooth will benefit, however, from support. So you should take that loose tooth, press it a little bit further back into the socket, and then splint it to neighboring teeth for stability. Now, dentists use wire or special materials for this purpose, but you might not have it, so you might consider using either dental wax, which you can get online, or use any kind of soft wax if professional help is not around. Now, if you can, use enough wax to anchor the loose tooth to both of the neighboring teeth, both to one side and the other, or in front or in back. Now, you should prevent further trauma. That will, by not only using this wax, but by placing your patient on a liquid diet for a time. So, any soft cereal, gelatin, puddings, things like that, if if you're lucky enough to have that kind of stuff, in a survival situation, well, that would be something that would be appropriate for that person to eat for the time being, or at least you use liquids only for a while. 
Now, occasionally the trauma, though, is severe enough to completely knock the tooth right out of its socket. That's called an avulsion, a dental avulsion. And the most favorable situation when a tooth is knocked out is when it comes out in one piece, including the roots and the ligaments that held it in place. Yes, indeed, tooth are held in place by teeth, or rather, are held in place by ligaments, very, very small ones that uh, anchor it to the socket. Now, in this circumstance, time's very important in terms of dealing with this. If the tooth is not replaced or preserved in solution, the success of reimplanting that tooth drops about 1% every minute, every minute that the tooth is not in its socket. Now, a good preservative for teeth that have been knocked out is something called Hank's solution, H-A-N-K. Now, this is a salt solution that's been used to culture living cells, so it's been used in the laboratory. It's supposed to be very, very good in terms of helping things heal and grow, and it helps protect the raw ligament fibers for a time, so that's a good thing to do. You can get this, by the way, commercially. uh, I think the product is called Save-A-Tooth. Save-A-Tooth, not Saber-Tooth. Save-A-Tooth, and it's actually a little... I, there is a way to make your own Hank solution, but it's a pretty complex process. So go ahead and get some of that and have it in your medical storage. Now, if you're not at your retreat at the time of injury, what you need to do is you need to find the tooth, pick it up by the crown. Don't touch the root. It's going to damage the already compromised ligament fibers. Flush the tooth clean of dirt and debris with water, saline solution, whatever you have. Don't scrub it because it's going to further damage the ligaments. Don't don't do anything major. Treat it with kid gloves. Now, if you don't have the Hanks Preservation Solution, you can place the tooth in milk, for example, uh, in salt solution, or even in saliva. You can put it between your cheek and gums or under your tongue. As a matter of fact, that'll keep the ligament cells viable longer than plain water would. Now, if the tooth's been out for less than 15 minutes, it could try to reimplant it. Flush the tooth in the empty socket with Hanks with the save a tooth Hanks Hanks Solution. Replace the tooth, hold it in place for about five minutes, make sure the tooth is level with its neighbors, and that's not lower or higher, and then cover it with cotton or gauze and have the patient bite down firmly to try to keep it in place. Now, after a while, you're going to want to splint the tooth with soft wax to the teeth on either side for support. Now, place your patient on a liquid diet. That's very important. In this case, however, you might have to have antibiotics like penicillin, something like fish pen or fish mox, or doxycycline, something like bird biotic, to prevent infection from occurring there. Now, if the tooth has been out longer than 15 minutes, well, you may have to soak the tooth for a half hour or so and uh, save a tooth or Hank solution before you replace it. The longer you wait, though, the more painful it will likely be to replace, so make sure you have pain meds available in your supplies. Now, after a couple of hours of being out, the ligament fibers dry out, they die, and so the tooth is pretty much dead. So replacing it at this point is likely to be unsuccessful. The pulp will decay like pretty much all dead tissue does. And this causes a chronic inflammation which may make the dead tooth to scar down into the socket almost like a dental implant does. This is called ankylosis. Now this, you may think that this is a good thing, but it could cause permanent pain in the area from the scarring. It's important to know that in mature permanent teeth, the pulp rarely if ever survives the injury, even if the ligaments do. As such, without the availability with advanced dental procedures, root canals and things like that, to get rid of the dead tissue, well, even your best efforts might not be successful. Now, if a serious infection arises in the dead pulp, your patient may be in a worse situation than just missing a tooth. So, act quickly, 
and use antibiotics. That is, I think, a, a great start to possibly saving that tooth. In these days of terrorists, active shooters, and worse, every school, workplace, and homestead should have the equipment necessary to save a life. The first aid bleeding control module is meant to provide the items you need to stop hemorrhage. It's compact, lightweight, and has easy to read waterproof instructions. If every teacher's desk, worker station, and car or truck had one, have no doubt, it would save lives. Available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Hey, one of the questions we're often asked is what to do about chronic pain and drug addiction, no less, if some disaster occurs that knocks you and your group off the grid. Well, that could happen for good. And so you have to realize that pharmacies aren't going to exist. Pharmaceuticals will cease to be manufactured. And whatever pain med you use or opiate drug that you might be addicted to is very likely going to be unavailable to you and leave you and members of your group pretty much high and dry in these circumstances. Now, you've got to look at natural sources of compounds that are going to help the situation, things that you might be able to grow if that's the case. This sounds pretty illegal. And actually what I'm going to be talking about is talking about legalities of some items. Now, some states approve the possession and sale of marijuana for medical and recreational use, but there's little true opioid effect to it. I mean, real pain-relieving effect. Recent studies show that it might have a slight effect against pain, but mostly it serves as a sedative of sorts that makes the pain more bearable. Do I know this? Well, the Canadian Medical Association Journal just published a study where a number of people who had chronic pain were given marijuana, medical marijuana, and they compared it to people who took a placebo, a sugar pill, essentially. And those on the placebo rated their pain as a 6.1 out of 10, after taking the placebo, and the marijuana group rated their pain as a 5.4. Now, that's a small difference, but it is a difference nonetheless, so it is considered an option. Now, there's another study in which researchers found that the rate of opioid use, in other words, heroin and things like that, decreased in adults that were aged 21 to 40 in states that had legalized medical marijuana and where residents with prescriptions could obtain cannabis, the scientific name for marijuana, from dispensaries or grow their own. Now, that compared to states that had legalized medical marijuana but didn't yet have an operational program for people to obtain it. Now, another plant that has promise or had promise for chronic pain is called kratom. Kratom is an herb that has been in widespread use in Southeast Asia for centuries. It's chewed like leaves or it's taken as a supplement. It's used in a number of different ways, can even be smoked, to increase stamina, induce gentle euphoria, relaxation. That's in Thailand where it's usually grown, and it is also used with success to help people kick addiction to opioid painkillers. Now, on the other side of the coin, kratom appears to have addictive potential itself, and there are several hundred cases of poisoning that have appeared on the steps of emergency rooms although the most severe cases seem to have mixed it with other recreational drugs. Now, the key psychoactive components of kratom, otherwise known as Mitrogena speciosa, that's the name of the plant, are mitrogenine, mitrogenine, let's call it, and 7-hydroxymitrogenine. These active compounds act on 
opioid receptors that are in your brain, just like heroin and morphine do, although kratom is actually not classified as an opiate. It's actually a member of the coffee family. In any case, kratom has been used by many people who swear by its effect on pain or use it to replace heroin or other street drugs. As a party drug, it's considered to be pretty unremarkable in that it's apparently a very subtle effect and not what you would, I guess, expect from party drugs. I haven't used any party drugs lately, so what can I tell you? Now, in a recent decision, the FDA has hurriedly decided, for some reason, to classify the active ingredients metragenine and 7-hydroxymetragenine, the two major chemicals in kratom, as Schedule One substances on September 30th of this year, just a month after its announcement. Now, Schedule One drugs include heroin and LSD, and these are drugs that essentially have no acceptable medical use and a very high addictive potential. That's Schedule One, and as the addictive potential goes down and more acceptable medical uses are found, then the schedule goes down, Schedule 2, Schedule 3, Schedule 4. So Kratom apparently is now at the highest level of, I guess, addictiveness and also lack of medical use, according to the FDA. And they've put it, they put it on with heroin, LSD, morphine, things like that. That means that the Drug Enforcement Administration will temporarily ban the two chemicals found in Kratom, which, as it's sold as an herbal supplement, essentially bans the herb altogether. By banning the active ingredients, the DEA essentially can include both the living plant, I guess, and any synthetic equivalents under this ban, supposedly just for two years, but which is starting very soon on September 30th, 2016. Users report that Kratom, which can be easily purchased online now and in brick-and-mortar locations like, let's say, smoke shops, provides a peaceful effect not unlike a drug such as morphine. And there have been reports that the supplement has been used successfully to manage both chronic pain and opioid dependency. Advocates insist that Kratom is not addictive, but some users say that the opposite was true for them, that there is an addictive potential and that it can be dangerous for that purpose. In July, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a report saying that intoxication from Kratom was a cause of more than 600 calls to poison control centers in the last five years. Now, people that take Kratom or that are believers in Kratom countered that this number is far outweighed by the cases of poisoning due to other legal and illegal substances and that many of these intoxication cases were the results of Kratom interacting with other illegal drugs, like I mentioned. There appear to be fewer no deaths, however, from the use of just the plant itself without other drugs. But the notion of Kratom as potentially harmful, well, that has been picked up by the Food and Drug Administration, and a lot of law enforcement officials, medical professionals now feel this way. And several states have already banned the plant. Tennessee has banned the plant, though regulation in the past proved difficult because it was a legal herbal supplement. Now this new ruling, going to keep Kratom on the controlled substances list for up to two years until the Department of Health and Human Services completes certain studies that it's doing on the plant. And if its studies deem that Kratom is a public health threat, it's going to remain banned. That concerns, of course, users and advocates for the plant itself. So what does this mean? Well, a couple of things. Outlawing Kratom may turn its users to things like heroin, which is 
terrible and caused an increase in opiate overdose deaths, something already at epidemic proportions throughout various parts of the country. For us in the survival field, it takes away an additional tool for the survival medic to deal with those group members with addiction issues or with significant chronic pain. It's possible that you could have grown, depending on your climate, this valuable herb and been able to use it for those people that had these issues. Now, having said that, even though I generally am positive towards having it, certainly as a survival tool, I should mention that use of the plant in its native Thailand, where it's been a folk remedy for pain and other maladies for centuries, is now illegal as well. Despite all this, it seems to me that there's been a rush to judgment when it comes to Kratom. Hopefully the DEA will see the light as to the realistic uses and potential risks of the plant and allow at least limited access to what might be a very valuable survival medical tool for us in the preparedness community. But don't hold your breath. It's not likely that once it's a controlled substance that you'll be able to get it in the future, marijuana notwithstanding. You still have until the end of September 2016 to get some plants or supplements. I understand the plants are going out of stock quickly, but there's still supplements available at various online sites. Check out the American Kratom Association for more information. You know, I think this Kratom controversy actually puts together one of the issues that I have been talking about, and that is the inability of conventional medical authorities and conventional medical practitioners to sometimes understand alternative remedies, alternative healers, and then also, on the other hand, alternative healers believing that pretty much all conventional medical folk are profiteers or have some ulterior motive to what they're doing. And the truth is, is that Neither is probably the case. I mean, most average citizens have a relationship with a conventional health care provider, but, you know, a growing number relatively see alternative healers as well. And both of these professionals have a lot to offer in the maintenance of our medical well-being. But these two disciplines, they're often at odds with each other, and there's an ill feeling, and it just makes little sense to me. I guess a guy that wants to use all the tools in the woodshed and it makes even less sense if we find ourselves off-grid due to a disaster. Now, in survival, having a, an inflexible attitude towards one branch of medicine or another might be hazardous to your health if you don't watch out. If you're a proponent of alternative medicine, there isn't much that herbal therapy is going to do to set a broken bone. On the other hand, if you are an advocate, uh, if you're an advocate of conventional medicine, what will you do when those pharmaceuticals you stored run out over time? You know, both of these things are likely events that are going to happen in a truly austere setting. Everything we write about is done in a totally, what we call, integrative way, includes both. And so those of you out there who are completely against one or the other are going to be unhappy with the opinions that we have oftentimes because we'll mention natural remedies and we'll mention conventional therapies and some people are just against one or the other. And if that's the case, have you thought about why you're so dead set? against one or the other. We once had a conventional doctor challenge us to find an illness, any illness, which a natural remedy will cure or prevent. We've also had herbalists tell us that pretty much every vaccine ever made in the history of the world is a work of the devil or some kind of profiteering scam, including vaccines like the one that eliminated smallpox from the world and saved probably millions of lives. 
So one guy thought the other was a quack, and the other guy thought that the other was a profiteer. And this kind of stubborn thinking, I think, just really saddens us. I mean, why not use all the tools in the medical woodshed? I mean, not doing so is just like entering a fistfight with one hand tied behind your back. If you're going to have a long-term strategy for medical self-reliance, especially in an austere setting, you have to integrate the practice of medicine to include every method possibly available that could help your people. You have to have a plan of action for when the pharmaceuticals run out. I mean, the odds are that there are plants in your own backyard that have medicinal benefits. Find out about them. The truth of the matter is we're going to enter tough times one day. We're going to have to do a lot of improvising. So having commercially made supplies, that's awesome. But conventional items and even natural ones might run out over time. So this is where it makes sense to put together, let's say, a sustainable medicinal garden. Yep, gardening is a skill that the medic should learn if they want to succeed in their role. And besides having other options, you have more flexibilities. I mean, your approach to a patient can change based on what the problem is and how serious. If you break your arm, you're first going to turn to traditional medicine to set the bone, splint it, maybe give pain medicines. Afterwards, however, you might add other approaches that might strengthen that person's immune system, might speed the healing process. So this method of treating the whole patient, the holistic approach is what it's called, is very important. You have to emphasize the need to look at multiple aspects of health, physical, nutritional, emotional, lifestyle, social, and practicing this way will help your people recover from the mental stress associated with injuries as well as physical pain. Hey, while we're waiting for the furiously packing Amy to rejoin the show, let's take a short break for a few messages. This is Survival Medicine with Joe and Amy Alton. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy will be right back. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy or Joe and Amy Alton. Thank you guys for hanging out with us once again for the Survival Medicine Hour. We really appreciate it. And I have kind of been talking a little bit about natural remedies here and there. And I wanted to talk to you specifically about something that I think pretty much all of us across this country can grow. I know in South Florida, I was pretty surprised. I've tried a lot of herbal plants. By the way, I'm getting it from a company called Richter. And it's R-I-C-H-T-E-R. There may be an S there. Richtersherbs.com. Unbelievable. Put your wallets away. Forget your credit card number when you go on there. Because it's insane. They actually send you plants. And they're boxed up. By the way, I have no affiliation with these people whatsoever. They wouldn't know me if, you know, (laughs) I was standing in front of them and with a sign that said who I am. So no affiliation whatsoever. I have just purchased plants from them, uh, sometimes in numerous boxes. 
I believe they're grown in a greenhouse in Canada. So I buy these plants. They come packed in these boxes with extra packing inside so that each little plant has its own space within the box. So nothing gets crushed. Nothing is damaged. The worst thing that's happened to me is I wasn't here one day and they kind of sat outside for a while. So they weren't dead, but the poor things needed water right away. So they actually come looking pretty good if you get them on the day they arrive. And you can just put these in the ground. Pay attention to spacing. That's one thing a lot of people don't think about. You can go outside your grow zone a little bit. Like say I'm in 10. I try to grow things that might only go to 8 or even 7. Of course, usually it doesn't work out. So pay attention to your grow zone. But also pay attention to spacing. Because when you plant something like rosemary, which is what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, you get this little bitty plant and you think, oh, okay, well, I'll plant the next one. Oh, let's give it 8 inches or 10 inches. That is not enough space. So really think about your herb garden, your medicinal garden, and how much space something's going to take up. I have lemongrass out front of our house, and it came in this Again, this small little plant, oh, it couldn't have been more than four or five inches tall. But I thought, oh, lemongrass, great. And I read about it, and it can go to a six-foot, sort of rounds itself up, almost like a big ball. And so you need a lot of space between these. So I did appropriate spacing, and I actually put them out front of my house, which I'm not supposed to do right next to the electrical outlet. I got rid of the nasty bushes that were there, and I put these lemongrass, and now they are so big and beautiful. The only problem is occasionally some landscaper will come by from the next-door neighbor and decide that they just have to trim this thing because it, it's looking out of control, and I, I have to go yell at them. Don't touch my lemongrass. It's supposed to look like that. So... You know, in neighborhoods, everyone thinks, oh, everything has to be trimmed. And no, let your lemongrass grow. It's there. It smells so good. So anyway, rosemary also gets really, really big. So give it space. Don't plant it within a few inches of something else. You will regret it. We had one rosemary we planted probably about three years ago, maybe four and I am telling you, this thing was five feet wide. It wasn't terribly tall. Maybe only like three or four feet tall. But it was huge. It was totally out of control. Well, Dr. Bones thought, I need to trim this. And so he trimmed it, and it died. Poor thing thought, you know, oh my gosh, what's happening? So it killed it. Don't plan on trimming your rosemary very much. And if you do, trim it early before it gets a lot of growth because you can't cut it back too much. So keep it trimmed small amounts early on if you don't want it to get too out of control. Um, but frankly, for me, I don't care if it gets out of control. Let it just go crazy. I mean, what's better than fresh rosemary? Oh, just the aromatherapy alone is wonderful. You just sort of take those fresh leaves and rub them between your hands and then just smell them. And you know what? All your troubles go away. <laughs> There's something to be said about aromatherapy. 
So where should you be planting rosemary? Well, it's actually native to sunny Mediterranean shores. It's an evergreen member of the mint family. And its genus name is Romarius, and that means dew of the sea in Latin. A reference to the plant's coastal habit and its delicate drop, droplet-sized flowers of pale ocean blue. I've actually seen those. They are pretty. Rosemary's piney aroma and bittersweet flavor work well in both sweet and savory foods, and it's been a staple, we all know, in herb and kitchen gardens for many centuries, probably much, much longer than that. We just may never know how long people have been using it to cook their food. The herb has a long history of use in fragrance, fragrance in soaps, lotions, and cosmetics. <clears throat> Since ancient times, rosemary has been a symbol of love, loyalty, and remembrance, often used in rituals and ceremonies associated with both marriage and death. Springs of the herb are intertwined with bridal wreaths or tucked into bridal bouquets. In some European countries, it's still customary for mourners to carry rosemary in funeral processions and to cast the herb into the grave during the burial. Now, I just want to mention before I go any further that this information that you're hearing is from one of the books that I have linked in doomandbloom.net. I have a new book section, and basically what I did was took pictures and put them up from each and every one of the books, specifically that are referenced in the back of both our second and third editions of the Survival Medicine Handbook. So if you are looking for additional resources for herbal medicine, for anatomy, physiology, there's a book for uh, medical terminology, lots of different resources. You can go into that book section. I took the descriptions that are from Amazon so you understand, you know, really what the book's about. And there are pictures. And the pictures are links that can take you to Amazon. So if you're interested in this book, again, this is a, a National Geographic book, just to read you the title. It's called Guide to Medicinal Herbs, the World's Most Effective Healing Plants. And it's by authors Johnson, Foster, uh, someone with the last name Lodog, and Kiefer. And uh, it's a great book. It's easy reading. It's got really nice pictures, which is what I love. Sometimes you see these herbs and you're like, well, how would I know what it looks like if I run into it when I'm walking in the forest or along a path or something? So they do have really nice pictures. They have drawings also, uh, but they ha do have some lovely pictures for you to see. So let's continue on. Uh, as a medicinal herb, rosemary gained an early reputation for improving memory. Yay! I know some people who know that, who actually are running for president. Hmm. And uplifting the spirits. Oh, we all need that. In ancient Greece, students wore garlands of rosemary in the belief that it would improve their recall. Aha! So maybe your student who's going to take a test... Maybe you could take a couple drops of rosemary mixed with a carrier oil and have them do some aromatherapy and maybe give them a small vial of the oil to sort of whiff under their nose before they go to take that test. 
course, our teacher might say, what do you have? Oh, I have an essential oil of rosemary. It's not dangerous. They shouldn't get in trouble. It's natural. To this day, students in Greece burn rosemary in their houses the night before exams. Aha. Not about, I wouldn't say burn it, but you can get one of those um, uh, aromatic incense burners. They also have the ones that are like aerosol. So those are nice and they won't burn your house down. <laughs> um, Plinley the Elder in AD 23 to 79 wrote of Rosemary's value in sharpening eyesight. So it's good for your memory and your eyesight. Uh, someone else suggested from 1525 that boiling rosemary in wine as a cosmetic face wash is good and binding it around the legs to prevent gout and drinking it in wine for a cough and to restore lost appetite. Of course, you know, folks, this is from a really long time ago. No science basis here, but this is, you know, history. Other traditional uses of rosemary include remedies for skin complaints, poor circulation, jaundice, menstrual pain, feigning, nervousness, anxiety, exhaustion, and headaches. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Rosemary has several applications in herbal medicine today. Rosemary oil is used topically, topically, to treat muscle pain, arthritis, and to improve circulation. Germany's Commission E, which examines the safety and efficiency of herbs, has approved rosemary's use for these conditions. The essential oil has been shown to exhibit antibacterial, antifungal, antiparasitic, and mild analgesic properties. Rosemary essential oil is also employed in aromatherapy to relieve stress and anxiety, which makes sense if you're studying for exam, going back to the studying, that a lot of people are really stressed. They get these books, they get all their notes, and they get their papers, and they think, oh my gosh, I have to take a test tomorrow, and I need to do really well, or I could fail, or not get into the college I want to get into. There's a lot of stress in school. But so the rosemary not only would make the brain supposedly work a little more efficiently, but also relax, relax that stress and anxiety. And I don't think people learn really well when they're terribly stressed and full of anxiety. So moving on, internally rosemary is used for indigestion, uh, similarly to uh, peppermint, nervousness and tension, and of course we already mentioned the headaches. And if you're familiar with the distinctive fragrance of fresh rosemary, you can identify the plant with your eyes closed simply by stroking the leaves and inhaling the scent, which is what I kind of did when you guys heard me rubbing my hands together a couple minutes ago. Variable in habit, rosemary grows from two to six feet in height. Depending on its genetic makeup, rosemary can be uh, a creeping or a straight up shrub or a rigid upright evergreen. The opposite narrowly lance-shaped and stalkless leaves are grayish fuzzy and hairy unbelief underneath and leave a resinous stickiness. And if anyone has touched pine needles, you know that it, you kind of get like a little stickiness left over. And it's the same thing that happens with rosemary. You get a little oil, a little resin left over on your hands. The leaves are about an inch long with margins that roll under. The flowers are scattered in whorls on small groups arising from 
upper leaf axials and they're usually blue but can contain white, pink, lavender, or sky blue. Common rosemary is one of just three species in the genus Romarinus. So growing habits. We talked about it being uh, native to the Mediterranean region, which is including especially Spain, Portugal, south of France, Tunisia, and Morocco. Rosemary is often found on rocky coastal cliffs, and it's not surprising that rosemary, from ground cover to hedge, is one of the most widely planted herbs in California. So you might find a lot of rosemary if you walk around in California. With this wild Mediterranean climate, buffered by morning fog, the California coast makes a perfect home for rosemary. So how do you cultivate it? Um, the cultivated varieties abound in American horticulture. The planting range from rosemary is often considered a plant for southern gardens, but has been extended by the introdu introduction of hardier cultivars. So you may find a version of rosemary that grows just fine more north than it had been before. So keep an eye on that. Uh, the best way to obtain a rosemary plant is simply to buy one at any gardening center. Now, beware when you're looking at plants at gardening centers. You know, it's tempting to not get seed and to go buy plants at, we'll call them big box stores. The problem is sometimes they have white flies, so you've got to be careful. Check the plant before you bring it home, and if it has any sign of disease, don't buy it. If it's got a little white fly and it's, it's the only thing you can get, keep it isolated. Spray it with the mix I use is Castile soap uh, in eight ounces of water, about a tablespoon, uh, with a few drops of tea tree uh, and peppermint, if you can use both of those, and neem oil, N-E-E-M. Neem oil is fantastic for spraying on these things. If you want to blast it with some pesticide that's good for white flies, that's your deal. You know, everybody is a little bit different. I like to do it organically. Um, if you want to use something else, you know, that that's what you want to do, that's fine. But don't put it in your garden if it looks like it has white fly until you treat it and keep an eye on it because it can infect other things. You don't want that white fly everywhere. So you can get plants. It is difficult to grow from seed. So you may want to look around. If, if something looks like it's got white flight, check, check some other garden centers. There's got to be somebody who has rosemary. They actually sell it in my grocery store. Check in the vegetable section. You might be surprised to see some rosemary plants sitting around the tomatoes area. Uh, we have it down here. It likes light. It likes well-drained, sandy loam. It's an excellent container plant. It should not be overwatered. Make sure again it's not crowded in a bunch of with a bunch of other things because it is gonna grow if it's happy. Unglazed clay pots are best as they help to keep the soil dry, reducing the chance of root rot. And rosemary needs a sunny, airy, airy situation. I want to say something about drainage. Uh, don't put rocks in the bottom of any of your planters. I don't care what you're planting. Don't do it. Uh, just fill it up with whatever soil you're using. And if it's plastic, put holes all over the container because it will drain the excess water 
and it won't become a muddy mess. And if you've got a clay pot, don't block up the holes on the bottom. Okay, let the water come out. Don't put a layer of rocks. That's not what you're supposed to do. So um, that's just a little hint that I have for you for trying to keep your soil not muddy. Rosemary is produced commercially in Spain, Portugal, and France, which makes sense. We talked about that. All countries of its natural range. And, uh, of course, there's some commercial production that occurs in California. So what are some of its therapeutic uses? Uh, we briefly mentioned those earlier. It's a topical antioxidant. It's an antibacterial. It helps with muscle and joint pain. It helps with bronchitis. You're not... Uh, ingesting this rosemary you're actually again putting it on your hands using it as aromatherapy uh, it can help with circulation and it can help with memory and also um, uh, cognition one of the it's one of those herbs that the nose knows rosemary leaf produces extracts that are common are common ingredient in many hair and skin products especially nowadays I think you're finding more products that are using natural substances instead of all the chemicals are really which is so nice to go in and see that your shampoo now has natural products instead of a million chemicals that you can't possibly pronounce and you have no idea what you're using so I, I really love that uh, they can combat dandruff and greasy hair and promote general hair health the most convincing use, however, is as an antiseptic and antioxidant. Preliminary research indicates that rosemary extracts can kill bacteria, fight skin inflammation relevant to many skin conditions, and even, well, I don't know if I should even read this, but they're saying inhibit cancer in laboratory animals. I am not going to put my stamp on that, folks, okay? There's a lot of people who claim a lot of things about a lot of natural products, please beware. I am not telling you this thing cures cancer, but that's in this book. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. They may block the detrimental effect of sunlight on skin cells, which is basically saying uh, it's an SPF that helps prevent skin cells that have been damaged from turning into cancer. So that's, that's what that sentence is really trying to say. Applied topically, rosemary packs an antioxidant punch, which we all know antioxidants are meant to help prevent cancer. One potential application is the topical use in anti-aging skincare products. Ooh, that sounds awesome. To make the essential oil, rosemary leaves are distilled to yield a fragrant concentrated oil containing compounds responsible for rosemary's medicinal effects. Rosemary essential oil is antimicrobial, and one test tube study found that rosemary essential oil had a synergistic action with the antibiotic cipro. Now, cipro, I'm not crazy about. It's got a lot of weird side effects. Read up on it. If you don't have to take Cipro, I'd prefer you don't. There are lots of other antibiotics. Look for other options. If you have to take it, that's all you can take. Just be aware of what you're taking. Um, there's been some controversy about Cipro. 
Um, most people it's fine for, by the way. I have taken it, I don't think, with any problems. Uh, but there's been some chatter about Cipro causing some serious side effects. Ingested or inhaled rosemary oil has been used for other conditions such as muscle or joint pains, indigestion, bronchitis, and sinusitis, and or to improve circulation. There's also some data supporting the use of rosemary aromatherapy for memory and mental function. Here we go again. Makes your brain work better. You know what? I swear I'm going to get up and go get some rosemary like the second we're done. I have it on my patio. It's a nice healthy plant. Not as big as the one I was talking about before, but it's getting there. When 40 people underwent rosemary aromatherapy for three minutes, changes in their brain tests indicated increased alertness, reduced anxiety, and improved ability to do mathematics. Oh, that would be interesting to test. How to use. The essential oil is used in aromatherapy to enhance mental focus. To apply the oil, topically mix 10 drops of the rosemary oil in one ounce of carrier oil. Remember before I said you need to mix it in carrier oil. You don't want to apply this directly to your skin. You can use olive oil, um, jojoba, <laughs> almond, apricot, lots of different oils um, as a cream, oil, or salve. Topical products use various concentrations of rosemary's essential oil for skin conditions such as mild bacterial or fungal infections. Apply daily to skin, joints, or muscles as per the manufacturer's directions because it's going to depend on how concentrated they made their salve or oil. For a tea, add one to two teaspoons of dried rosemary leaves to one cup of water cover for 10 minutes, strain, and drink one to three cups per day. If you're going to use capsules, generally they come in 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams, and you're going to take them once or twice daily. But again, follow the product instructions because the person who puts them in capsules knows how strong they are and how often you should be taking them. Uh, there are some precautions to rosemary. The extracts with concentrated essential oils can cause a rash with sun exposure. If that happens, just discontinue rose, the rosemary oil and, or ex extract. Using rosemary as a seasoning during pregnancy is fine, but medicinal doses are not recommended. Now, here's a rosemary sports rub. Blend two drops of rosemary oil, one drop of lavender oil, one drop of eucalyptus oil, Four teaspoons of carrier oil apply to the body, especially joints, before going to the gym or vigorous exercise. Folks, we have run out of time. This is a Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. See you next week. Bye-bye.